Welcome to Poetry John's episode three. I'm Alina. And I'm Emma, and today we're excited to have Nicole Steinberg in the studio. Nicole is the author of Getting Lucky from Spooky Girlfriend Press and three chapbooks, most recently on dressing from Dancing Girl Press and Clever Little Gang, the winner of the Furniture Press 4x4 Chapbook Award. Her new book, Glass Actress, is forthcoming from Furniture Press. Her work has been featured or reviewed in the New York Times, Newsweek, Flavorwire, Bitch, Hyper Allergic, and elsewhere. She's the founder of New York's Earshot Reading Series, and she lives in Philadelphia. Nicole, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. We're jazzed you're here. I'm super jazzed. <laughs> I'm the most jazzed. <laughs> yeah, so you work for this awesome cultural organization, but at the same time, I'm sure it keeps you super busy. And yet you're one of the most prolific poets we know, and we just want your secrets. We want to know uh, how, how you make time to write, where you get the artistic and creative energy left over after, you know, putting in all this time at mural arts. Um, yeah, tell us about, I guess, tell us about your process. Uh, yeah, mural arts um, is a place where I can exercise my creativity a lot. It challenges me every day, so I really appreciate that. Um, I do have to make time for my own creative work um, and be, I wouldn't say I'm regimented about it, but at the same time, I just have to force myself to do it um, because it is important to me. Uh, and if I don't do it, or if I allow myself to just go home and watch TV every night, which does happen sometimes, uh, I just know that um, I'll languish. So I try to do um, Napa Remo every year, which, uh, is a silly little thing but at the same time I get a lot of output out of that sometimes it's most of my output for the year <laughs> I mean that's regimented in its way right You're yeah sort of every day for an entire month you have to write something is that, is that right the rule? yes uh, you're supposed to write a poem every day throughout the month of April um, I've done it for three years now um, so that's how I've written most of my work over the past three years uh, last year I didn't quite do it every day I didn't really um, come out with 30 poems but even if you come out of it with 20 poems that's still 20 poems that you didn't have before um, so that is one thing that I try to do just as a general rule it's just an excuse to um, to write every day and I do a lot of you know editing work at home of poems that I take first passes at and then put away um, and I go to a lot of readings which you know that's the that's the main thing that helps fuel the creativity and the desire to write hearing what other people are doing so I really as busy as I am I try to make time to do that and to go to readings did I make this up that when you were writing a poem a day in April you were posting them on your blog but then they would be deleted later yes you would po okay okay <laughs> tell me about that I'm intrigued so like you just you, you force yourself to post every day but you don't want it up there forever so you're like goodbye deleted so it's sort of like you're accountable to an audience right or like those readers so exactly. Then, yeah. It's like how when I try to do Weight Watchers, it only works if I go to meetings. <laughs> <laughs> that is so real. <laughs> I need that accountability. I need somebody to say, you wrote the poem. Good job. Uh, otherwise, what, you know, there's no point. So, And also, it's a great way to get immediate feedback on my work. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a big um, feedback person. I'm kind of a, a ham. You know, do you have like a likes threshold? If you're like, if this doesn't get at least five likes, it will be axed. I don't, <laughs> but I know that if something doesn't get that many likes, that probably means it's not um, done. So yeah. um, I, I will come back to it in that case, or after some consideration, I may decide, eh, maybe I'll just scrap this or, um, you know, 
mine it for parts later. <laughs> All right, so we've been talking about your work in the sort of like big picture way. Um, let's talk about what your poems are actually about, um, and and I guess like your voice because it's very unique. There's a lot to say about it. Um, yeah, I. I think you're especially good, I think, at subverting subject matter that could be foolishly dismissed as light or frivolous. And I made a little little list here. Bill Murray, The Jerk, Makeup, Chili's, Polly Pocket, Brunch, Sex in the City, Specific Doritos Flavors, Bubble Yum, OK Cupid, Star Trek, Def Leppard. It goes on and on. Uh, this is one of the marked differences that's noticeable between you know your first chapbook, Birds of Tokyo, and some of the later work. I think you began to integrate pop culture much more into your poems. And so we're curious how you started, you know, how, how that first came about, because I think you're really, really adept at it. I'm wondering where that came from, the integration of the pop culture references. Well, thank you. Um, I, um, I've been doing it for a long time, and I actually was doing it even before I wrote Birds of Tokyo. Um, Birds of Tokyo was really, again, like I said, based on an experience um, that I had and just happened to be the first chapbook that I published. Um, but I was doing pop culture stuff when I was in grad school. Um, I think a little bit when I was in college too, not quite as much. I had a lot going on mentally in college. Um, I wasn't quite ready for um, pop culture. But um, it definitely was coming out in grad school and not everybody was a fan of it, um, but the people who were really were. So I felt like I had something and um, I could see people responding to it when I read it out loud which is really what convinced me to keep going. Um, there's a lot of people who I've read in front of who come up to me afterwards and tell me they like it. It's mainly because they are not poetry people, quote unquote, um, but they there's something that they can latch onto in those poems. There's something that they recognize. And you know that's something that we all share, pop culture. Um, and anybody who says that they don't is probably lying. So. Um, so, you know, I, I can evoke something from Star Trek or I can, I can reference Polly Pocket and like there's an audience that will know what I'm talking about, you know, just by saying the words Polly Pocket. So it evokes a feeling or a time in your life that, you know. These are the symbols of our age. Exactly. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's, it's a point of accessibility, but also that's not all. Like, it's not like you get there and just a gimmick and sort of, I guess, we wanted to ask you, and you alluded to this when you were talking about people in grad school reading it. Um, so there's people who get it, right? There's people who it works for. And then are there people who you feel like, maybe there's like a stigma to writing about pop culture or people underestimate the depth of, of the poems or like how hard you work at them because pop culture is in there and somehow they might perceive that as easier to write about. When I feel like it's really the opposite. Yeah, I mean, I remember giving a presentation in grad school about pop culture and poetry and bringing all of these poets who I admired, you know, to, to the table and saying, like, look at what these people are doing. And I actually remember somebody, like, laughing at me while I was giving that presentation in the class. And I was just like, well, you know, these people are famous. <laughs> so clearly they're doing something right. I was talking about Denise Duhamel. I remember, you know, who I love. Um, she's one of my big influences, um, who wrote a whole book about Barbie, you know. So... There's something there, um, and whatever. I don't see that person around these days. So um. I wonder if people worry about like timelessness being affected or something. Like you put, you know. I've definitely gotten that feedback before, um, especially with my getting lucky poems. There's a lot of pop culture in those poems because the text is lifted from a pop culture um, artifact. So uh, I've definitely gotten responses to those poems that are like, 
no, in like 30 years, people aren't really going to know what you're talking about. Um, you know, I, I feel like the work stands for itself and, you, you know, it's, it's not like someone's not going to know who Angelina Jolie is in 30 years, first of all. And, and second of all, I mean, my goal with the poems is to bring it beyond that, right? It's not just to be stuck in a moment in time, but just to use it as a way to evoke something bigger than that. Um, right, they transcend their subject matter. And I think time will prove you right anyway. I mean, when you read Frank O'Hara and he's talking about, I don't know, the day Billie Holiday died or like being in an art museum and seeing a painting or whatever, you know. Right. No if you're one... reading it in 2016, you just go look up whatever that is and there you are no one reads that poem and is like oh what trash no one remembers this <laughs> 1950s who cares <laughs> get that out of the poem <laughs> and on the same note i think maybe with humor do people have similar feelings um again i i think it's a point of accessibility someone can walk into a room i've, I've had friends who go to readings just to you know be supportive or whatever, like the Bedfellows readings that you've read at, and they see you, and they love your work, you know, and, and they're not poetry people. So we think of it as a good thing that humor is a point of accessibility. Um, can you talk a little bit about writing funny poems? Is that something that you've consciously set out to do, or did you start doing it and then realize that you're <laughs> good at it? I think it just sort of happens. It's just part of my voice. Um, I was uh, not an especially attractive person when I was growing up. Um, so I kind of cultivated humor as a big part of my personality and was known um, as somebody who was kind of a ham, um, kind of, you know, the not, not the class clown necessarily, but just somebody who joked a lot and um, was a little raunchy in conversation. <laughs> um, so I've been that person for a long time. Uh, so it's just a part of my personality. Um, and it just it just comes out on its own in poetry, but I really do love making people laugh. Um, that's my favorite when I um, am doing a reading and people respond well and laugh when they're supposed to laugh. And you know, I I used to want to be a stand-up comedian, so like comedic timing is really important to me. <laughs> so like knowing to pause, knowing to wait for the laugh, um, that's that's you know a big part. Uh, the de the delivery is a big part of my poems as well. So. But it's nice to know that um, they work well in person, but that they also work well on the page. So that's that's the balance that you have to strike, right? You're making sure that somebody can still read it um, and still find it funny, even if I'm not deadpanning it in front of an audience. Yeah. It's a tricky thing to do because I think you can be smart without being funny, but I don't think you can be really funny without being smart. So, you know. Kind of double whammy you got there, Steinberg. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to well, say. My mom always said I was brilliant, so I took an IQ test that. when I was a kid, and it was pretty high. So I, I'm nailed it. To that. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, I was like, done. Check. <laughs> it's not easy though. You know, Eileen Miles has she's been recently on this thing where she's sort of obsessed with stand-up comedy, and thinks it's a very difficult form. I guess you would call it. Well, because people are so polite at poetry readings, you can read a terrible poem, and pretty much no matter what, you can guarantee that the, the crowd will politely applaud and you know move on. Whereas with stand-up comedy, people heckle you, people respond in this very immediate way. Um, I think we need more of that at readings, yeah. honestly. But you know, <laughs> some people. there was more an heckling. incident where I think Nicole very much like was at. A poet who's reading, but also 
someone in the crowd was responding as if she were a stand-up comedian. So let me explain. She There was a, a reading at the Philadelphia Literary Festival that happened in Philly. And <laughs> Nicole said she was going to read an angry poem about men. And the poem was funny. But the, this bro in the audience reacted by saying, ugh, murder, just out loud in front of everyone in this in this dead silent room. And this stood out in my memory for two reasons. So one is that like poetry readings are usually pretty demure in terms of audience reaction. People are polite. And two, this guy felt like totally justified. I, I don't know if it's because like the male ego is like fragile and he just couldn't handle the thought of like an angry poem about men or I don't I don't know if like because you were reading funny poems, he felt like he could react to you in that way. Um, is that something that happens to you? I mean, I was flabbergasted, but does that happen to you often when you read funny poems? Do people sort of like react in real time? Um, the That kind of reaction is more of a recent thing. I think as I become more performative and more um, blatant about my distaste for men, <laughs> <laughs> As I read, just I mean, and and whatever, it's it's all meant to be in jest, obviously. Um, but a lot of my work is about what it's like to be a woman in the world. Um, I think for a lot of men, it's uncomfortably feminine in a way that makes them react that way. Um, so I loved when that happened, and I, that was like a trophy. That was like winning a trophy because <laughs> it's like the exact reaction that I was going for um, without even knowing it until after it happened. And I was like, yes, I want you to be uncomfortable, <laughs> to be so uncomfortable that you have to utter something aloud that lets everybody know how uncomfortable you are. And um, of all things, murder. I mean, <laughs> murder. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, think. agreed. <laughs> now you know what it's like, man in the audience. That's what I feel every time you talk. <laughs> I think you should read this poem, if you wouldn't mind. Okay. That the bro so hated. Yeah. And this one goes out to that guy. Yes, yeah, this is for you, sir. It's based on a true story. It's called Poem Written Upon Seeing a Photo of a Man I Know Looking Happy. If I've ever made a man happy, I wouldn't know it. Don't I know it? The feeling of being in Paris or like you are cruel and you own the world. I think it's the way Woody Allen must feel when he frequents an outdoor cafe, drinking cappuccinos and relishing his savant power. But I don't think I've ever made a man unhappy either at least not in the pitch-perfect way where they only want to sit by a lake or play video games until their eyes burn and their asses blister, quietly steaming with ire. How would I even go about it? My father's first wife threw his shit out the window, a story that made me love the idea of her. Tyrannical queens circling a swift and melodramatic drain, pitching black socks and typewriters out her tower window like pheromones, not much caring where they'd land. Could I, too, become a skyscraping bitch, casting a tall, paralytic shadow on a man and the vast potential of his otherwise beautiful day? Do I even have pheromones, or did they evaporate in college? Forget the stomach or the heart. Could I pollinate my way into a man's bowels? Men are most dangerous when they get to go exploring. Men are completely useless, unless they're in mourning. I was a loud child until I wasn't. And now, 
Gazing out at a sea of smiling dick, I feel the big scream coming on again. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think you're totally right, like the, the, the gendered reaction, right? The, the, the poem is unapologetically feminine. But you think about how many decades men spent just writing horrible things about women in poetry, but it's artful for some reason. Yeah, I have no problem provoking men. <laughs> um, I, I feel very comfortable doing that, um, especially with history behind me in that way. And now that I am writing stuff along this, these lines, um, I do get that reaction more and more. Um, I just did a reading a week or two ago where I wasn't getting like heckled in that way, but like men felt comfortable yelling things back at me. You know, and then like I, what? Because you're clearly confronting them <laughs> when you're reading these poems. Um, someone said that one of my poems reminded him of Garrison Keeler <laughs> out loud. And then I said, is that supposed to be a compliment? I don't even think he expected me to respond, so there was no answer. And I said, okay, great. I guess that's my answer. And everyone <laughs> laughed because that guy was clearly um, stupid. But, um, yeah, that, that just, yeah. It, it provokes a reaction more so than it used to. Um, and I'm okay with it because I can handle it. So I'm, I'm fine with being that way. I'm trying to be the Janine Garofalo of poetry. Like that's what I'm going for right now. I want to make men uncomfortable and make women laugh and feel good. So <laughs> that's where I am. Skyscraping bitch. <laughs> I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna cast a shadow over a man's beautiful day. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. That's what I'm going for. I think also like being in my 30s has switched something on for me where I just kind of don't give a shit anymore <laughs> um, uh, that I'm just okay with saying how I feel um, because I've and one of the themes of the book that I'm working on is basically like a life spent being ridiculed by men and what that means and um, sort of the the dichotomy of being an object of ridicule and being an object of desire but living in the same body and what that feels like how, what living that life feels like so um you know i'm just sort of over that I'm, I'm over thinking about myself in terms of what men see when they look at me so um so and, there's that poem <laughs> you know like an, an intelligent reader would find something human in these poems and not think of it as like misandrous stuff anyway like, yes well and and the, yeah most people like this know. is a poem about relationships or like a bad relationship not a poem about Shitty men who are shitty all the time. All men are shitty. End poem, you know? Right. right. Otherwise, it would be called, here's why men are shitty. Um, yeah. Which is also a totally valid poem. But that's that's my next book. book. Um, yeah. You want to maybe, well, how about you choose your favorite poem from Getting Lucky? Okay. And we would love to hear it. Um, let's see. I'm going to choose the one that gets a lot of laughs just because, again, I'm a ham and I like getting laughs. So um, all the poems in Getting Lucky, they're all sonnets um, and they're all named after women who appeared in the magazine. So every time I worked um, on poems, what I would do is I would take an issue of the magazine and I would go from front to back and take those really juicy lines of copy and put them into a Word document. Um, again, like my obsessive organization stuff at work. Um, and then I would print it out and just kind of pick out um, phrases or sentences and create poems out of them. And then I would make a list of all the names of the women who had either been interviewed in the magazine or on the front cover. Um, so a lot of the names are um, familiar, like Rihanna. <laughs> this one's called Jen. 
Shamed by demi-celebs and doormen, this hectic New York life seriously gives me hives. If I put on the wrong eyeshadow, I'm invariably frazzled, and it's a total surprise when someone hugs you. I look to the experts for ideas on scalp analysis, socially responsible vacations, and figure-forgiving bras. I'm obsessed with my eyebrows to the point of overzealousness. A city-fied lady in black and fuchsia, I go into a deep nail-polishing trance. I'd love to live under the radar, be more organic, a breezy thrift store junkie right at home on an outdoorsy trip. In the spirit of recycling, I found a used boyfriend on Craigslist, and I'm taking him on test rides around my doggy-proof studio. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so can, can I laugh at The language is so telling, though. I mean, like, I was thinking about adjectives like frazzled or there was another one in there that was just, like, breezy. Mm-hmm. These words are not used in the, in the realm of men. Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, put on a breezy suit. No. I'm so frazzled from... My 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 work life balance as a as a working dad like no, it just can men happen. have it all without being frazzled? Can they? It's like shrill, you know. It just doesn't happen. Like no one says that. Writer feisty. Yeah, feisty. <laughs> feisty is a book. great one. Yeah. Oh. Fierce. Right. Right. <laughs> So I've got the snacks, you've got the blindfold. We're gonna shake up Bodega Snacks a little, a little bit this time. We're playing with a change in format. So Lena's gonna explain how it will work. <laughs> there are some new stakes. So first of all, we are not going to eat the snacks with you. We already know what they are, you do not. So with each snack, just try it. Give yourself a minute. Let us know what you think the flavor is and then perhaps if it comes to you, a name for the snack, and then we will reveal what it actually is. We put this challenge upon you because you're a self-described snack connoisseur, so we really thought that you could handle it, and we're expecting you to rise to the occasion. Blood pressure. (laughs) I'm ready. Put me in. Put me in the game, coach. (laughs) So first, the blindfold. Alina has a a beautiful hot pink satin blindfold um, that we've we have for Nicole today. It's the nicest thing I'll ever wear. Thank you. Okay. Speaking of fashion. Um, okay. okay. So, <laughs> now, that, now that you're ready, can you see anything, Nicole? Uh, <laughs> I have really good peripheral vision. Okay, uh, no. All right. Okay. Snack number one. Should I reach no. into the bag? Yeah, reach into the bag. Okay. <laughs> That's too hard. It's not. <laughs> no, take your time. Feel around. Yeah. Oh. Sense of the texture. Textural clues. It's like an interesting shape. Hmm. It's cup-like in formation. Hmm. <laughs> Scoop-like, perhaps I should say. It's kind of like powdery. I'm gonna smell it. Use use as many senses <laughs> as you have, which is four. I feel so alive right now. <laughs> Okay. If you need a, a supplementary sample, feel free. Hmm. It's barbecuey. Um. 
but like a soft barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Mild notes of barbecue. <laughs> I'm going to call it um, Toilet Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's beautiful. Here's some water. If you would like, I'm just going to put it right in your hand. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm just naming them the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> Oh, this one has some heft to it. It's it's like a, it's a pretzel of some sort. Mmm. Okay. It's definitely a pretzel covered in something. Hmm. What's it covered in? <laughs> oh Why are you laughing so much? <laughs> we sound so conspiratorial. I know. I'm like, is it covered in dog shit? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it tastes like a chocolate-covered pretzel, but I guess it's not because <laughs> of well, all of the laughter. No, mm. it, it could be. So, what what do you what would you call this chocolate-covered pretzel if that's what it is? I ate the whole thing. <laughs> it's called I ate the whole thing. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. You're, I was not deterred great. by the laughter. I ate the whole thing. You're doing great. Two okay. down, one to go. Have okay. some water. Okay. Snack number three coming at you. Hmm. Oh, this has like a stick formation. I don't like this. <laughs> What's it like? It just tastes like burning. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually like, pretty acute, given the name. <laughs> it's called Burning Man <laughs> Snacks. It's what, you, it's what you eat when you hate yourself. It's like going to Burning Man and just having like sand in your eyes the whole time, except it's in your mouth instead, <laughs> and it burns. So. Mouth sand. Mouth sand. Oh, should we let her? I'll let her out. Should we do the reveal? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I want to know what they what they actually I'm are. Show you what you're working with. Thank you. I have to put on my glasses because so I'm blind. The first snack okay. that you tried was Fritos uh, with the flavor of chorizo and chipotle. Mm. Mike, our, our sound engineer is just going to take those away now. Just take those. <laughs> Wait, but they're called, they've been renamed to Toilet Squirrel. Toilet Squirrel. Toilet Squirrel. <laughs> Which is not a bad thing, necessarily. No judgment on toilet squirrels. So the second snack, um, <laughs> you have a lot of faith in your hosts. They are chocolate-covered pretzels. We were just laughing because they're called chumpies. Ooh, chumpies. Well, I like the illustration on the yeah, front. There's, um, there's a, a, there's a guy with a cool fade on it. There are three gentlemen. They're all named. They're all named? Yes. <laughs> are they like a gang called chumpies? But, Oh, the best part, at the bottom, it lets you know that there's no pork byproducts in these, in these chocolate-covered pretzels. pretzels. So, Good to know. Thank God. What you tasted <laughs> was actually chocolate and pretzel with, I repeat, Good. no pork. Because I forgot to tell you guys that I'm kosher, so. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, all right, and then last but not least, you the, had... Andy Capps hot fries. Oh. So when you said burning, it's pretty pretty apt. Pretty apt description. And he is a man, so 
Yeah, no wonder that. They yeah. Were, no wonder no. I didn't like them. They're named after a man. <laughs> yeah, very, kidding, very sweet snack tasting. Thank really. you. I, I like I like Burning Man fries. It's good. <laughs> Nicole, thank you so much for playing. No, it was fun. It was good times. So we're really excited to talk about your new book, Glass Actress, forthcoming from Furniture Press. And then it's coming out this year, right? 2016 is the year? Yes. Hopefully summer or sometime shortly afterwards. <laughs> and so tell us about the title to begin with. Where does the title Glass Actress come from? So the actual phrase is in a poem that's in the book. The poem is called The Book of Fat, which is about um, being an obese young woman and having that experience in the world. Um, and how people respond to you. So I liked it as a title for the book um, because I feel, again, like it has a lot to do with performativity in the world. Um, I always wanted to be an actress. I was a theater kid um, when I was in high school. And I think that's a big part of my personality that like I'm very comfortable on a stage, but I'm also very comfortable performing. And, you know, it's, it's meant to point to the ways that we perform every day, just you know, being out in the world amongst humans, um, whether you're performing as an object of desire or otherwise, or you're performing with your friends, with your family, whoever the audience may be, the glass is there just as a way of expressing vulnerability, you know, that you're putting on the show, but that show could be shattered at any time, you know, depending on what somebody says to you um, or how someone reacts to what you're doing or how you look. So um, that's where the title comes from, um, this sense of, you know, having to put on a show on a regular basis, but also being very aware of that and, um, yeah, just still uh, feeling that sense of vulnerability in the world, no matter how, no matter how uh, well you hone your act. So another awesome thing that we know about Glass Actress is that a poem from the book has been chosen by the Pennsylvania Center for the Book uh, as one of four featured poems for their 2016 public poetry project. And so the poem will be published on 1,500 posters, which is like bigger than the run for like most chapbooks, I imagine. That's like, that's huge. Um, and it's going to be in libraries, schools, bookstores, coffee shops, universities, and at the September National Book Festival in DC, which is awesome. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Sure, yeah, That's, it's a very exciting thing. Um, my friend Paul Siegel, who's another Philadelphia poet, um, won it last year, and then he got to nominate um, two people for it this year as one of them. Thank you, Paul Siegel. Um, so um, I'm really excited about it. Um, in April, I get to go to Penn State and do a reading. Um, which is very fun and yeah I'm really excited to see the poster um, I'm not sure I, I think they have a designer who does them every year but they're really beautiful um, so I'm looking forward to getting a few and posting them all over <laughs> can we buy one from the studio or do I have to steal it from the library I think that I will have 50 and I will give you one <laughs> Great. That's probably I will hold one for you thank you you're welcome we, we should definitely <laughs> hang it up here <laughs> How does it feel knowing that your poem is going to be in like places that you, you can't even control where it's going? It's just like it's going to be up in coffee shops. It's going to be in libraries, universities. People are going to see it. I'm glad. 
I want to be I want to be everywhere. <laughs> I want to be all over Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, it's it's super cool. It's a big honor. Um, the funny thing about it is that when Paul wrote to me, he said. Um, you know, they, they have some stipulations about um, you get to send in like three poems for consideration. Um, and it would be great if you could find some poems that don't include drugs, sex, cursing, or poop. <laughs> what, is, what does that leave you with? <laughs> it leaves me with not that much, believe it or not. Um, poop is not that big of a deal. Um, but, Just a couple, uh, <laughs> a couple scatological poems you had to There is one poop poem. Of. There is one poop poem. Uh, but... Um, the sex and the cursing was a big deal <laughs> and I was like oh no this is like literally 80% of my work um but I, I I found three poems um that were a little more on the serious side and sent them in and um I'm really glad that they picked the one that they did um because there is still some humor to it um it's called my dark semitic wiles so my my semitic wiles are going to be all over this state you can't yes. escape them <laughs> um uh, we would love to hear it. Okay. My Dark Semitic Wiles. I took my dark Semitic wiles on the road. The train was empty, and that was lovely. Everywhere an open space. En route to Berlin, I held the bathroom mirror and spoke to my mother. Foreign leaves of foreign trees and the conductor's garbled nothings blurred above my head. She thinks I'm going to get myself killed. Lost forever. I remember a straight-haired little girl at the kindergarten table with eyeglasses as petite as her pink poly pocket. I crushed them in my fat hand, arranged the lozenge lenses next to the legs, purple plastic bird femurs. Like chicken, I picked it apart. My fellow passengers, the unwed Jewess rides among you, come to tour your capital of tragedy. Love me out of guilt like an unborn sister. A mother's final scowl before death. The very nose on your face you'd hack off just to belong. Nicole, it was such a pleasure. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me and for all the snacks. Let's eat the rest of them. We're going to eat so many snacks right now. (laughs) Off the air. (laughs) You never hear from us again. Let's eat the one that tastes like burning. (laughs) There's going to be like a little um, follow-up to this where it's just ten minutes of us chewing. You can hear us eating the snacks. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of saliva action. Hot saliva action. Hot saliva action next time. We're totally choosing one. <laughs> All right, we're going to go give ourselves. Poetry Johns is recorded in South Philadelphia with music and editing by Dan King. Thank you so much to all our listeners. We'll see you guys next time.